Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the book of Genesis. But as we seek the Lord and we allow the Lord to work in our lives, and certainly as the Lord brings trials and allows trials in our lives, as difficult as they may be, they serve to teach us, to grow us, in some cases even to move us into places where the Lord wants us to be. And seeing there at the end of that chapter, Isaac finding a place of peace. Now certainly we, we recognize in the many years that just that one chapter covered, that one that chapter 26 covers in Isaac's life, we see a lot of growth. He goes from, from a guy who's making some pretty foolish mistakes to a guy who at the end of that chapter seems to be fairly content, seems to be fairly at peace, seems to be willing to just be led by the Lord and comes to a place where he's confident that the Lord wants for him to be. But of course, as we continue on in life, our sanctification is never complete. We never arrive until we are with him in glory. And so there is always a process wherein God's working in our lives and changing us and growing us and maturing us. And what that then also means is, is sometimes we still do foolish things, even though we've been brought sometimes to a place where God has really done a work in our lives. We praise Him for the fact that we are uh, no longer who we once were. We also recognize we are not yet who we are intended to be. And that really kind of comes into view here in chapter 27 as we go from uh, Isaac having learned some things to then encountering Isaac even later on in life and seeing that he's, he's still making some mistakes. And that's what we're going to uh, look into here this evening. And we won't just focus on Isaac. However, it's Isaac and his lack of leadership that really, in my opinion, kind of characterize this entire chapter. Uh, however, what we're going to look at more than just Isaac is four individuals. We'll look at uh, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau. And uh, I think within each of them, we can see pictures of where some people may be at on their journey. Uh, we can probably identify with aspects of each of them and in in aspects of their character that's on display here in this chapter as well. And so I, I hope that as we look at each of them, we can find ourselves going, yep, I, I can relate to that. I'm familiar with that. Hopefully maybe we're, we're praising God that, that, yeah, that's part of my past, uh, not my present. Um, but then also then really consider uh, what, what does that mean for me then today? What, what, what lessons do I take from this? What application do I make in my in my own life here, as we encounter this chapter where we see the blessing of Isaac really come to fulfillment. And so though we dealt with the idea of birthright and the blessing that would be upon Jacob as opposed to his older twin, Esau, um, a few chapters previously, it now comes to the place where that's being fulfilled here in chapter 27. And so uh, let's go ahead and read here together the first four verses as we begin. If you'd read along with me, Genesis 27, verses 1 through 4, it says, Now it came to pass, when Isaac was old 
and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. And then he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, here at the beginning of this chapter, we encounter an Isaac who's now a good bit more advanced in years. He himself is saying, I'm old. My eyes are dim. What does that mean? Well, it's, it's kind of a, a, a euphemism for him saying, I'm, I'm blind. I can't really see anything anymore. We'll, we'll see that that's, that's truly the case as he has interactions with his sons. He can't really tell who they are. Um, and, and as many of you know, if you've considered this chapter, Isaac and Rebecca, or excuse me, Jacob and Rebecca are going to kind of take advantage of this um, that he cannot see. Um, now, Isaac is at this point where he feels as if he's probably going to die soon. Um, most people would agree that he's probably about 137 years old at this point. Um, he's at least 100 years old based off of some of what we can take from the previous chapter. Um, but based off of uh, the ages of his son and things we learn as we get into to chapter 28 and 29... Um, it's probably the case that he's around 137 years old at this point. Now, why does he then think he's going to die? Well, he's obviously feeling pretty old. Um, his, his eyesight's failing him. But it's also important to understand that his half-brother Ishmael also died at this same age. And so it could be the case also that Isaac is thinking, Ishmael died about this time. I'm probably going to die as well. Uh, however, what we know is that Isaac's not going to die uh, very soon. In fact, he's got another about 40 years to go. Um, and so there's going to be some vitality, I think, renewed to his life a little bit. And I think, and this is, this is very much speculation here, we'll unpack this a little bit, but I'm of the opinion that to some degree he's feeling old and he's feeling like he may be near death in part because he's not really in a good spiritual place. And I think that can have an impact on us even physiologically. Um, and so he's, he's got more life to live, but at this particular point, he's thinking, I got to start to wrap things up. So like any good patriarch, he's considering the blessing. He's thinking about how he was blessed by his father. He's thinking about the covenant promise. He's thinking about the blessing that is to be given. But as we know at this point, and as he should as well, the blessing is supposed to look a little bit different in this situation. However, if you've picked up on it here, he's talking to Esau and he's saying, here, do this for me and I'm going to bless you. That should cause us right away to go, well, wait a second. We already know Esau is not the one who's supposed to receive the blessing. That's Jacob. So what's going on here? And so we, of course, here at the beginning of the chapter, encounter our first character who we should really look at their life. And what I would submit to you this evening is that Isaac is representative for us here in this passage of somewhat of a carnal 
Christian at this point. Now you may be saying, well, is that really true? We've seen Isaac walking faithfully uh, else at, at other times in his life, and, and so he is, is he truly a carnal Christian? And I think in some respects he is. Um, he is operating in the flesh here. Now to be a carnal Christian does not mean that you're not saved. We know that uh, based off of how Paul refers to those believers in Corinth when he writes to them. Let's look at that for a moment. In 1 Corinthians, uh, in chapter 3, this is where Paul gives us some insight here. In 1 Corinthians, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul writes this. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And this is not an exact apples-to-apples situation, and certainly here Paul recognizes that these are brethren. He's writing to brethren, but he's saying, listen, you need to be maturing. You need to be growing up. And the, the thing happens in our lives sometimes where even if we've been through some things, even though sanctification has been taking place, even though we have been maturing, sometimes we can get into these ruts. Sometimes we can get into what people call a wilderness period. We can get into a dry place spiritually. A lot of time goes by. My goodness, for us, if, 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 if Isaac here is 137 years old and he's still got another 40 years left, that's a lot of time to screw some things up, right? I think I'm, I'm not yet 40. For those of you who didn't, didn't, didn't know my age, I haven't turned 40 yet, Okay. I'm coming. It's getting there, okay? But I think to myself, the guy's 137 years old and he's got another, he's got a whole one of my lifetimes left. And I think of all the stupid things I've done in my own life, even as a believer, mistakes that I've made, my goodness, there's a lot of opportunity in that amount of time to get into some ruts, to get into some places where you're just, you're just not really in a good place spiritually. And I do believe that this is where Isaac is at. And so he's operating in the flesh. How do we know that he's operating in the flesh? Because we see right here at the beginning, he's seeking to satisfy the flesh. Not only is he disregarding what he knows to be true about how the blessing is supposed to be done, but he's, through his son here, seeking some things that really satisfy his flesh. Now, what am I talking about in terms of the blessing? Let's remember, back at the beginning of, of the account of the birth of Esau and Jacob, in chapter 25, in verse 23, the Lord said to her, remember, Rebecca was struggling. She knows that she's, got some, she's pregnant, and she's saying, something's not right inside. Remember this? And so in order to figure it out, she seeks the Lord. Lord, what's going on? Why, why is there more than just a kick? There's like some wrestling happening inside of me. And what, is the, what does the Lord say to her? He says in verse 23 of chapter 25, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. God's saying, you've got twins in there. But it's not just that they're twins. He's saying, there's some real conflict going on between them even now, and that's going to continue. He says, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. See, even at this point, God is saying to Rebecca, as well as no doubt she's, she's relaying this to Isaac, is that, hey, listen, <laughs> you've got twins. You're going to give birth to twins. 
and, and they're going to be at each other. There's going to be a conflict here. Furthermore, the older is going to serve the younger. He right away from the very beginning there has said, this, birth, this birthright thing is going to look different. And then, of course, we have the account where Esau sells his birthright to Isaac. Okay? And, we, and we considered that. A lot of people want to look, and even in this situation that we'll consider here tonight, a lot of people look at this and they go, man, this is all kinds of wrong. Jacob's really a deceiver here. He's lying, he's conniving, he's twisting. And to some degree he is. But we've got to remember, Scripture never condemns Jacob for the things that he's done. If anything, it's, it's Isaac and it's Esau who, who are really recognized as you guys are the ones who kind of screwed up here. Now, that doesn't absolve Jacob of any responsibility, but it's important for us to consider that in terms of how God's viewing some of this. Furthermore, what we considered last time, when, or when we considered the um, fact that Esau sold his birthright, is that Jacob, albeit sometimes going about things the wrong way, was pursuing something that was good. Rest assured, and we'll consider this here shortly as well as it pertains to Rebekah, there's an understanding here that the birthright and the blessing cannot go to Esau. Why? Because he's not a good guy. There, there's an awareness for them of, if this guy takes on the mantle of the family, the responsibility of leading the family, caring for the family, the spiritual leadership of the family, that's not going to go well. So there's concern, there's real concern here over Isaac blessing Esau. But then the question for us should really become, why is Isaac so bent on this? If Isaac knew at the very beginning that God said, here's what's going to happen, if Isaac also knew, because there's no way this was kept as a secret in the, uh, throughout many years as a family, that, that Esau had given up his birthright to Jacob, well then why now, at the end of what Isaac believes is, 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 is his, the end of his life, and he's getting ready to bless some, is he still set on blessing his son, Esau? We've got to ask that question, and, and while Scripture doesn't necessarily tell us everything about this, leaving us to make some assumptions, we can see here as he says, and he calls Esau to him, and he says, it's time. I'm old. I don't know the day of my death, but it's, it's coming soon. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, take your quiver, take your bow. These things that Esau had been given to throughout his life that in, in many cases were not a good thing. It's not to suggest that, that hunting is bad, but in the case of Esau, it's, it, it, we have reason to believe he was a little bit careless in this, that it was sort of the mark of, uh, of who he was, that he was a guy who was just sort of carefree. He was just out for the hunt. He was just a guy who was after fleshly things. And, and so, so now Isaac's enlisting him in this, and he says, Make me some savory food such as I love. Bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now we all have appetites, and I like to eat some different things. I wish I didn't. It gets me into trouble, right? And so we do, and it's not to suggest that having a good meal is a bad thing, but what we can see here is that, it's that Isaac is being motivated by the flesh. He's thinking about the things that he wants. He's thinking about the things that he desires. He's not thinking about the God-ordained plan. He's going against it. He's being motivated by his flesh. And how often do we in our lives seek to discount or even disregard what we know to be God's plan or what God's desire is, convincing ourselves instead, well, that this is okay. I really want this. Maybe it's all right for me to have this. We seek on a regular basis to satisfy the desires of our flesh. We're called to crucify the flesh daily, to put it to death. But here we see that Isaac is, uh, is disregarding God's plan. 
God's design. So then, what begins to happen? Well, we enter in here another character in this story, verse 5. Now, Rebecca comes on to the scene here, and it says in verse 5, let's go ahead and read through verse 10. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. A number of things that we see here, first of which just to connect it back to the first part of this passage here, is this. We Remember when we had considered the fact that Esau was somewhat of a careless hunter even in the original account, we know that they have plenty available to them, plenty of provision. That's even evident here in the fact that they have livestock that's readily available to them, goats that she can go and take. She can make them in such a way that he's not even going to notice the difference. Right? He had access to something that would have been tasty, to something that would have fulfilled him. He enlists his son instead in the act of going and, and hunting, and killing something that they don't necessarily need because they have resources available to them. Again, to some degree speculation, but you can only imagine here that Isaac, in his old age, being perhaps even a little bit stubborn here, not giving to what God desires, and somewhat maybe living vicariously through his son. You can only imagine the conversation maybe a little, hey, 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 Esau, why don't you gather up your stuff, get your weapons, go out, go for the hunt. I want to know how it was. Bring me back some of that meat. You know what I like. You know, stuff your mom doesn't want me to eat, but let's, let's keep this between you and me, right? I mean, we, we, again, we got to be careful, but we can only kind of imagine what's happening here. And so Esau, he goes out. All right, Dad, I'm going to go do this. And maybe even Esau's thinking here too, I know I sold my birthright a long time ago, but Dad loves me. I'm his favorite. He and I were tight. I know he's really not supposed to. Technically, he shouldn't, but man, he's going to bless me. And I'm going to get what's coming to me. I'm going to get what I've wanted here. Which for Esau is not the spiritual leadership of his family. He doesn't care at all for the, at this point, remember, the way the last, in fact, I didn't even, forgive me, um, we didn't even cover these two verses last week. I intended to include them this week. Let's go back for a minute here. In chapter 26 and verse 32, it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, we have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of this city is Beersheba to this day. So that's when Isaac kind of closes out things peacefully with Abimelech. And then in verses 34 and 35, when Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Barry, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Forgive me for not mentioning that. I absolutely should have done it. So we know that already Esau has taken two wives, not one, two wives. So he's already engaging in polygamy, which we know will be common. Remember, the Bible in some respects, especially in the Old Testament, is like a newspaper. It tells the news. It doesn't condone it. And, and so here he's taken, he's taken two wives, and they're from the land. They're, they're, they're foreigners. They're pagans. 
So yes, we know that Esau is not concerned about this. He's not concerned about the lineage to the Messiah. He's not taking seriously the blessing of the covenant. And these two wives that he's taken to himself, they were a great grief to Isaac and Rebekah. What does that mean? It means they didn't like their daughter-in-laws. Okay? This was a tumultuous relationship. Why? Because they were pagans probably leading their son further and further astray. If you're a good parent, you don't want to see that happen. So we know that Esau, though he's seeking the blessing here, it's not for the right reasons. He just wants his father's continued favor. And for, and for Esau as well, or excuse me, for Isaac, Isaac even more so should be saying, I can't bless Esau. He's overlooking sin because of the appetite of his flesh, because of the connection perhaps that he has with Esau. And so Isaac is making some foolish decisions here. So we know this. Problem is, though Rebecca is well-intentioned, she too is making some foolish decisions. She's listening. Now you can only imagine how she's listening, how she's hearing all this. You get the sense that Rebecca is just sort of like <laughs> creeping around, like you know, trying to eavesdrop on some conversations here. Now, again, she's concerned about this. Um, maybe, maybe in part because Isaac's health is failing. Um, she's wondering what's going on. She has a sense that um, maybe is, he's, he's not going to make the right decision here. Sure enough, she overhears. And so she says, okay, he, Esau's going out. She calls Jacob. She says, listen, here's what we got to do. And she starts to plot and to put together a plan here around what's going to happen. So she tells him again, verse 9, Go to the flock, bring me from there two choice kids of the goats. I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. I'm going to make a meal. It's going to pass for the same thing. He's going to love it. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. So she's saying, Jacob, you need to go in there. You need to get the blessing. We understand this. This is what God has said from the very beginning, but that's the important thing for her to remember in this moment, right? Just like we talked about last time. When God says he's going to do something, is he going to do it? Yes, he's going to do it. But she's doubting that right now. From her, from her perspective, what Rebecca's seeing here right now is there's only two options here. Either Isaac is going to do this foolish thing and he's going to bless Esau, or I've got to get involved and make sure that it happens for Jacob. Anybody ever been in a situation before where they look at it and they say, boy, this has the potential to be a really bad situation. Only one of two things is possibly going to happen. Either this is going to happen or I've got to take matters into my own hands in order for this to work out. You ever been there before? How foolish of us, right? Do we not forget that in those moments there is always a third possibility? What's that third possibility? Let God do it, right? Trust God. It's a pretty good option. But we seem to struggle with that. And so we see here that Rebecca's struggling with that as well. Now fortunately here Jacob is showing a little bit of like, I don't know if this is the best idea. Verse 11, and Jacob said to Rebecca's mother, look, <laughs> and these are funny little things if you take these verses. Like this is a, make this a memory verse, right? Um, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Don't actually make that a memory verse. Those are just the fun ones, right? Those are the ones where somebody goes like, what's the Lord trying to tell me? I'm just going to open up my Bible and keep my eyes closed, and I'm going to point. And that will be God's answer. And you're like, oh, <laughs> Esau's a hairy man. I don't think that was, I, you know, okay, Lord, what does that mean? Um, sorry, I digress a little bit. Um, so here he's saying, look, it's kind of always been this way, mom. He, you know, you got Esau and he's the big hairy macho guy. And, uh, you know, I'm, I don't exactly look like that. Uh, perhaps my father will feel me. What he's saying here is he's like, I'm going to come close to that. I'm going to serve him. Maybe dad's going to kind of grab my arms and, and want to hold on to me as he blesses me. And then I'll, sh I shall seem to be a deceiver to him. 
and they shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. So there is some wisdom here on the part of Jacob a little bit as he's thinking, this might turn out poorly, but there's something else I want want you to hold on to for a moment, and we'll come back to this uh, because we see a little bit here of insight into Jacob's character flaw, I think you could say, and it's this. I shall seem to be a deceiver to him. I want you to just hold on to that one for a moment because this tends to be Jacob's pattern. What do I, or what may I seem to be to other people? That's one of Jacob's big hang-ups, okay? And, and no doubt it's, it's, it's been fueling much of this for a long time and even his own insecurities, as he knows, even, even at this point, though the birthright he could argue is, is in many respects rightly his, his dad's still favoring Esau. That's got to create some insecurity for him. That's got to create some, uh, some confidence issues. That's going to play out, uh, and we won't get there this week, but when he goes to Laban and when he seeks a wife, uh, there, there's going to be some, some issues for a long time in Jacob until he finally comes to that place where God says, you're Israel now, until that point when, when God really touches Jacob and, and kind of makes him into the man that he's created him to be. And, th- and that process is going to unfold here. So we'll come back to that in a moment. Let's look at Rebecca here now. See, Rebecca is that one. Remember, we, we find ourselves there as well, right? I, I've either got to do this or I've got to do this. But, oh, but wait, what about this? No, we don't pay attention to that. We don't pay attention to the fact that God could maybe do this for us, right? So what does Rebecca uh, sort of serve as for us here? Well, she's the manipulator. And that can sound really bad, but that's really what she's doing. She's seeking to manipulate the circumstances to achieve an end. Now, is the end that she's desiring ultimately right? Is it a good thing? I think it probably is. Rebecca understands what's at stake. She knows that the spiritual leadership of her family, she has a sense of the, 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 the lineage of her family is potentially at stake. She's grieved by the fact that her eldest son is a carnal individual. He's worldly. He's been chasing after continually the things of this world. He's shown little regard for the things of the Lord. He's gone and he's married two women, pagan wives, who have led him further and further astray. No doubt about it, she's a grieved mother and she doesn't want to see this play out this way. We can understand that. The problem is, and what we need to apply even in our own lives is, we cannot seek to do God's work but not do it his way. You understand that? She is seeking to do God's work, but not do it God's way. And that always, always, always gets us in trouble. Let's depart for a moment and just try to understand this a little bit more. There's a passage in Scripture I absolutely love. Um, It's in 2 Samuel in chapter 6. I'll try to cover it here briefly, but I think it has application for us here this evening. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, there's this event that's happening here. You may be familiar with it. And this is when David decides to bring the ark into Jerusalem. It's been 75 years since the ark has been brought into Jerusalem. It's essentially been in foreign hands and in in storage to some degree throughout this time or up to this time. And David decides it's time. It's time to bring the ark back. So in in 2 Samuel, beginning in... in, uh, Chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Again, David gathered all the, th- all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. David arose and went with all the people who were with him from uh, Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. 
And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cisterns and cymbals. And when they came to nation's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. Anybody ever read that story and found yourself feeling maybe a little confused or a little frustrated? Maybe even, dare I say, kind of upset with God? Like, what's up with this? Similar to David? It's okay if you did. I mean, maybe even early on in your reading of Scripture, you're like, whoa! And then you find yourself maybe a little bit too going, okay, this is what people are talking about when they talk about Old Testament God, New Testament God. Make sure you understand, both the same, okay? (laughs) Not a different God in the Old Testament, different God in the New Testament, both the same God, immutable, never changing. So it's incumbent upon us then when we look at this to go, we got to understand this. Same thing happened for David. Here's David thinking, I'm doing a great thing. This is God's work. It's the Ark of the Covenant. It should be in Jerusalem. It should be here. It should be with us. It's the glory of the Lord. Yes, we're going to bring it in. And man, we are going to celebrate it. We're going to make it a wonderful occasion. And by golly, we're going to build a new cart. And it's going to be beautiful. And it's going to be pristine. It'll be the best thing you've ever seen. It'll be the best cart you could have for it. And we're going to put that, the ark on it. And we're going to have people around it to keep it safe. And we're going to move it into Jerusalem. And we're not just going to move it into Jerusalem. Man, we're going to have a parade. We're going to celebrate the whole time. We're going to give it Oh, it's going to be fantastic. And you could look at that and you could say, yeah, praise the Lord, David's doing a wonderful thing. But then all of a sudden, the ark almost falls off and the guy that's walking beside it does exactly what any of us would do in most situations. Man, I'm going to try and, I'm going to try and protect this thing. And he touches it and boom, he's dead. And David's thinking, what in the world? And he, of course, he's scared at this point. He's fearful, he's frustrated. He says, no, put it away. It's done, it's over. What gives? You were doing a good thing, Lord. Lord, I was trying. Father, I, I thought that's what you wanted me to do. Some time goes by. It was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six bases that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep, and then David danced before the Lord with all his might. So what, what, what happened in this time? What did David learn in that window of time before he began the process again? And here now, as David, as, as, as they go and uh, bearing the ark of the Lord and had gone six paces, they sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. So now the process is looking a little bit different. What did, what did David learn? Well, he had some good advisors at this point that brought him back to Scripture and brought him back to the instructions for how the Ark of the Covenant was to be transported, for how it was to be moved, for how it was to be handled. What David learned in this window of time was that God had specific 
ways in which things were to be done. And even though David may have had the best of intentions, his best intentions were contrary to the word of God. They were contrary to what God wanted to be done and how he wanted it to be done. And so the, the, the fact of the matter is, David needed to take seriously that a man's life was taken because of his carelessness. And so you see, God gives us instructions for how things are to be done. God has a design for the ways that things are to be done. And we can look at that stuff and we can convince ourselves all day long that, well, oh, this is good or this is, this is right because this, this feels good or, or, or here's the risk if we don't do this. But if it, that ultimately causes us to depart from the way in which God has designed it or what he's asked of us or what he's called us to do, well, then we're doing it now in the flesh and it's likely to fail. And you see, that's what's happening with Rebecca. Certainly, Jacob's going to receive the blessing. We know that. But God had said that that's what was going to happen anyhow. And unfortunately for Rebecca, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit now, but because of what she does and the anger that's aroused within Esau and then his intention to take his brother's life, she's going to send her son away. And even though she thinks it's going to be all for but a few days, she's, according to Scripture, never going to see her son again. There's consequences when we take matters into our own hands doesn't necessarily mean that God's done with us, but it may mean that by us doing things outside of his will, that there's going to be consequences in our life that we'll have to deal with. <clears throat> so here we see Isaac's kind of functioning in the, in the desires of his flesh. He's kind of disregarding what it is that, that God desires because he's just sort of distracted by the things that he likes and by the things that he wants. Rebecca's concerned by all of this, and so she begins to take matters into her own hands. Jacob has a little sense of maybe this isn't the right approach, but the problem is Jacob is far too moved and affected by what other people think about him and by wanting to, to receive that blessing, by wanting to, to know that he's, that he's valued and that he's, he is, in fact, uh, accomplishing that which he believes that he's created for and so he decides that he's going to go along with the plan and sure there's obedience here to his mother but perhaps in this moment he should have stood for what he knew was right and so he says I might bring a curse on myself and not be a blessing in verse 13 but his mother said to him let your curse be on me my son only obey my voice and go get them for me and so he went and got them and brought them to his mother and his mother made savory food such as his father loved verse 15 then Rebecca took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob her younger son she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck and she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob and so she puts together the whole meal it's going to be just right Isaac's going to enjoy it she puts the clothing of Esau on Jacob so that as we see here he's going to smell like his brother and then uh and Esau must have been a pretty hairy dude um, because she puts the skins of the goats on his arms and on his neck so that as his dad grabs his arm or, and he hugs him and touches the back of his neck, he's going to have the sense of, oh, that's, that's Esau, not Jacob. So here Jacob's going in with this whole getup on. We can only imagine how funny he probably looks and no doubt a little nervous as well, thinking, man, I hope, I hope dad's sight really is dim. Um, cause, and, and of course, you know, a lot of times they were in their tents as well and the lighting was pretty poor and maybe there was smoke in there. And so, uh, there's a, a way for him to, to do a b good bit of hiding. 
And so he went to his father and said, my father, <coughs> my, my father, right? And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Now, pause there for a moment. This is what causes people to really struggle sometimes. Because not only do we see here Jacob going along with this deception, but now what does he do as he states that, as he makes this statement? He, he involves the Lord, right? I mean, he, he kind of, here he, he brings God into it because the Lord your God brought it to me. Now he's sort of claiming that God has done something in this moment. And so this is where a lot of people struggle to go, man, really, he's really out of line here. Now, so, now there's people who take stances, two different stances on this. One stance is that hey, he just absolutely should not have done this, and this is just a major error on his part. Other people go, no, the, the, the cost was too significant, and he was doing what he should do, the equivalent of, and yes, people make this analogy, the equivalent of somebody who's uh, hiding a Jewish person during World War II, and when the Nazis come, they, they say, nope, nobody here. Swear, swear on the Bible, nobody here, right? And that that's just something necessary in order to, uh, and now you can go ahead and debate that, and people have um, uh, many different ways. <clears throat> I look at this and I say, I, I, to me, I do think that there are times when, God calls us to do something that is very, um, in the case of uh, you know the innocent uh, innocent life is in peril. That maybe we've got to we've got to do some things that would seem to run counter to uh, instruction. And I think there are situations fewer and far between, but some throughout history that you could look at and go, yeah, absolutely. I think that that was pleasing to the Lord what somebody did to defend the life of another. In a situation like this, I think this is pure deception. Uh, and I think Jacob's going to learn from it. Um, and I think it's th th that God is going to be gracious towards him and, and uh, continue to work in his life. But I think that ultimately this was unnecessary. That's my opinion. Okay. So here he, he continues on and he's trying to just keep up the charade, right? And uh, Isaac said to Jacob, verse 21, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. And so Jacob, no doubt feeling a little, even a little bit more nervous, goes near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, and so he blessed him. And then he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. And here's really, and so we've got to look at Jacob here for a moment, and we're going to continue to see this play out in Jacob's life, but here our third character really in the story is, of course, Jacob, and Jacob's the deceiver. Uh, Jacob's the deceiver. He's got many things in his, in his life that you could probably look at to say, well, what about this or what about this? But at the end of the day, he knew that he was at risk of being a deceiver and he continued down that path anyhow. So his dad here, motivated by the desires of his flesh, his mom recognizing the end result that she wants to see that is ultimately probably pleasing to the Lord, yet doing it in a way that's not pleasing to the Lord. And now Jacob functioning as a deceiver. <clears throat> Here's what we need to consider when it comes to, to Jacob. Ja Jacob was concerned about what others may think. He was concerned about his reputation, right? But what Jacob should be concerned about is his character. 
It's often said, reputation is what others think about you. Character is what you know about you, right? And it seems that Jacob was less concerned about that. Um, we read in, <clears throat> it's regarding Saul and Israel's desire for a king. But in 1 Samuel in chapter 16, verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, just as Rebecca should have been willing to say, this is what God said, and I'm going to trust him to do it, even though it seems that there's a lot at stake right now, it'd be wrong for me to take matters in my own hands, to be manipulative in order to try and accomplish God's will. I'm going to trust him to go before me. For Jacob, and he will learn this in time, I believe, Jacob's going to have to go, man, I may not feel like I measure up to my brother. I may not feel like I've been able to, because of who I am or who I'm not, earn the favor of my dad. And that's got to be hard, right? No doubt that can hit on many nerves here tonight about what we think about ourselves and our identity and our confidence and our value and our worth. But what we need to recognize here is instead of then engaging in deceit to try and get that which we think we need or deserve, we need to go, but I'm going to trust God. I know what God thinks about me, right? Jacob continues this pattern of pretending to be something that he's not. And God's going to deal with that. Um, and so he says, are you really my son Esau? He says, I am. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing. See, so Rebecca was right. She was strategic here. He blessed, so he smells him, and he blessed him, and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. And so here now Isaac is giving the blessing, though he thinks to Esau, of course he's giving it to, to Jacob. And uh, you would think maybe along the way here, uh, this would be one of those opportunities as Isaac has a little bit of doubt that maybe maybe something's going on and, and maybe he'd come to his senses and know, I'm going against what the Lord has as uh, said would be the case here, I'm, I'm, I'm resisting God's will. But he doesn't. He doesn't stop. He continues to just kind of pursue and move forward. And, uh, and, and, and here, too, probably thinking Re Rebecca has no idea. She's not going to be in support of this. She's not going to like this, but she doesn't know. And so I'm just going to I'm just going to keep moving forward. And, and, you know, the Lord has those those ways of of in our lives when we're going down a path of putting some some checkpoints in there, give us an opportunity to course correct and to back away. Maybe a little bit of a check in our spirit. Is this really, you know, and, and sometimes we just keep moving right through those things. But he gives the blessing then here, and of course it goes to Jacob. And, and even look at the blessing. What, what comes with the blessing is, 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 sort of, is, is earthly provision, material provision, uh, but nations bowing down to you. There's a political sense here as well. Um, and, uh, and that there would overall just be a blessing upon them, and that those who bless them would be blessed, and those who curse them would be cursed. And, and this ultimately applies to Israel. I do firmly believe that today. 
Um, you, can look at throughout, you can look throughout history at those who have opposed Israel, those who have stood with Israel, and the blessing that accompanies that, or the curse that accompanies that. I don't know if you've been watching the news and what's going on in Israel right now. I mean, there's a lot of conflict there uh, at this moment, the most we've seen since 2014. And a lot of our own politicians coming out, whether saying, hey, I'm coming out in support of, of the Palestinian state or uh, in support of Israel. And uh, so far as our country has taken a stand for Israel, we've been blessed. And in the times when we've diminished our support of, of Israel and, and sought to, uh, to kind of intervene and, and seek to establish a Palestinian state, um, there's been things that have come against this country. Now, some people speak very strongly about, you know, hey, this natural disaster or this thing that happened that was judgment from God because of this. I'd stop short of saying that necessarily, but it's pretty interesting, once again, as you look throughout history. Um, even go back to September 11th and Hurricane Katrina, and um, there's a White House correspondent that wrote a, an entire book uh, called Eye to Eye, um, where uh, he kind of chronicled the times in which the U.S., maintain support for Israel or withdrew support for Israel and in the, in the things that came against our country in the days following uh, when we didn't stand firm with, with Israel. And so um, I think this is biblical and it's not just about us. It's not just about the U.S. It's countries throughout history. Uh, make no mistake about it, even when it seems that Israel is uh, uh, in great peril, um, God has his hand on them. They are his chosen people. That's established from the very beginning of time. And the church today, I do not believe, has replaced Israel. There is still a plan for Israel, and we'll get there uh, in our study of Romans, especially as we get into Romans 8 and 9. And so this is the blessing upon them and to the generations to follow. Now it happened, verse 30, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out. So you get the sense here that if this was a movie, this would sort of be like, whew, you know, somebody's running around in the kitchen, Rebecca's trying to clean things up, and he's in there doing his thing, and it's like, man, everybody's running around to try and get this accomplished. And so just as all this is done, uh, uh, Esau returns. And so he'd scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came from in from his hunting. He also made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And Isaac's here thinking, I know I'm getting old, but this doesn't make sense. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He's thinking, I just ate. So he then said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly. What this means here when it says he trembled exceedingly, I mean this shook him. He was terrified in this moment, um, just overwhelmed with now realizing what had happened. No doubt the implications of it all from, this, from the fact that, whoa, like this is a big deal that I did in fact bless your younger brother and not you, but then this is going to be found out what I did and somebody else has obviously been involved. I mean, for him, this is really becoming, man, uh, my sin is finding me out. Okay. So he says, I am your son, your firstborn. Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. And so Isaac then is recognizing this is an irrevocable blessing. This isn't for me to just go, Oh, sorry, made a mistake. It's for you now. So when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father bless me me also O my father 
here in this moment, Esau realizes what has happened. And as it says here that he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, you better believe it. This man was crying. He was weeping. He was wailing. We know, and and, uh, and we read this earlier as we were considering um, just the character of Esau in Hebrews chapter 12. And where's it at? Verse 17. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. It's on the heels of the author of Hebrews saying that Esau was a fornicator, a profane person who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. And so this is what then comes to pass. He's crying out, no, it can't possibly be. And so he said, verse 35, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. But we know that's not the case. Esau sold his birthright. He just didn't like it that it had come to pass. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. It's the whole fool me once, right? Shame on you, fool me twice. George W. Bush said he ain't going to fool me twice, but it's the shame on me, right? Here Esau's thinking, He's fooled me. He's done this twice now. Isn't he truly a deceiver? So now Esau's angered, and he thinks he has a sense of righteous anger, but the fact is he's not paid attention at all to the life that he's lived and to the decisions that he's made. He's blaming it all on Jacob. He says, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Looking to his father saying, isn't there anything for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I have made him your master. And all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness Your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Let's continue on here just through the end of the chapter. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban and Haran. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away till your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? Well, we'll go ahead and stop there uh, this evening. We'll pick it back up next time. What we see here in the fourth character on our story, of course, is Esau. And while his father is one, and we'll see his heart even now begins to change as he recognizes what happens and he's not... He's not intending to try and, 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 and change things at this point. He knows what do, what's done is done, and he's going to begin to be awakened to what it is that he's been kind of chasing after as his wife comes to him and expresses her heart to him. And then he begins to embrace the fact that the blessing is upon Jacob, and he's going to give Jacob instruction, and he's going to begin to do the things that he should have been doing from the beginning, like sending Jacob away to take of a wife of, of, their, of, of their family back in Haran. But initially, he's, he's in this place of just pursuing after the desires of his own flesh. His mother, of course, once again 
seeking to manipulate circumstances, wanting to see God's work accomplished, but doing it her way, not God's way. We see Jacob, the deceiver, caring more about reputation over character, pretending to be something that he's not. But in Esau here, we just see someone who's lost. We see someone who's truly lost. Throughout his life, he's chased after the things of the world. And even here now, as he's recognizing that some of which he had had his heart set upon isn't going to come to fruition. He's unwilling at this point to even recognize the fact that it's his decisions and the way he's lived his life that have prevented him from experiencing the blessing that could have been his. He's like what we'll consider in our study this Sunday in the second part of Romans 1, like those who are lost in the world who suppress the truth of God even though it's been on display before them all along. And that's what we'll look at in the second half of Romans chapter 1 is the fact that Uh, Make no mistake about it. God, through his creation, is regularly demonstrating his glory to all people. And so those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, it's not because they're just somehow entirely oblivious, but rather that they are on a daily basis suppressing the truth that's being made known to them. It's taking effort for them to ignore God on a daily basis. And that's the case with Esau. He wasn't innocent. He sold his birthright. He, for far too long, had been chasing after the things of this world, but now... It was beginning to cost him. And the sad part is, is how many, and maybe this was you for a period of time, and praise God, you've turned your life over to Christ. And so you can look back and say, whew, man, praise, praise God, he got a hold of my heart. But how many people do we see, and, 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 and how many, maybe even in your own family and wayward children, do we know about who, who experienced the blessings of living in a good home, right, and, and, and seeing the work of God and the lives of their family, but because of their desires and because of their pursuit of the world, just squandered what was available to them and now are paying the price for it. All the opportunity, and they squandered it for the things of this world. Now what we're going to see happen then here, though, is that Jacob then goes on the run. And fortunately, he gets some instruction before he goes. And it's a good thing that he's going because ultimately he shouldn't take a wife of the land that they're in like his brother did. But I think also here differently than with Isaac. You know, Abraham had said, I'm going to send a servant to bring back a bride for Isaac. I don't want him to to get caught up in the things of the world. With Jacob, he needs some time alone, some time with God, an opportunity for God to meet him right where he's at and begin to work in his life and change him and transform him. It's different. Sanctification looks different for everybody. It's the same thing for you and for me. Different experiences in our life, different things that God allows that begin to bring change and so that's what we'll consider as we'll continue on is what God does then in Jacob's life to begin to bring about change but for us here tonight let's consider what we see in each of these individuals and and maybe be willing to be honest with ourselves about yeah I see some of that in me in different ways and that uh, ultimately for each of them uh, what what right looked like was a willingness to say this is what God desires this is the way that God wants to do it I'm going to trust God to move into work I trust God to go before me. For Rebecca, I'm sure that that became the realization for her as she says here, you just go away for just a few days. Esau will cool off. 20 years go by. Rebecca uh, passes away, doesn't see her son again, at least based off of what Scripture tells us. And no doubt she had some time to consider, man, I wish I would have done it God's way. I wish I would have let him just go before me and work this out. And uh, so guys, when we trust God to do it, uh, it's a pretty freeing thing. Proverbs 3, 5 and 7. 5 and 6, excuse me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. They all could have done well to 
to uh, put that into practice. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for our time together here tonight. And Lord, help us to take these lessons and, and, uh, and put them into practice, Lord, to apply it. Lord, I know that I can speak for myself here. I see, I see aspects of myself in, in every one of these individuals. Lord, times when I'm motivated by the flesh. Lord, times when I try to take things into my own hands. Times when, Lord, I'm more concerned about what other people think, my reputation, than I am my character, Lord, and what you would have of me and who you say I am, not who I'm trying to be. Lord, times when, and I, and I praise you that this is more a part of my past, but Lord, when I was suppressing the truth that was ever on display before me. Lord, help us to see, Lord, in each of these individuals, Lord, that are on display in Scripture, Lord, what you ultimately desired of them and of their lives and help us, Lord, to apply it to our own. To be willing, Lord, to allow you to go before us, to trust you, to trust your plan, to know that it's good and it's perfect. Lord, do that work in our hearts, I pray. Uh, bless each of these here tonight, Lord, as they follow after you, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you would like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.